Welcome to the Business That Matters Spotlight. I'm Warren Coughlin, founder of this podcast and business coach to ethical entrepreneurs who want to build a business that matters. In short, I help you end chaos and gain control over your business so that you predictably and reliably achieve the profits, the lifestyle, and the impact you strive for through a team you can trust without the stress and frustration. When you experience this, you're more confidently able to make the world or just your corner of it a bit of a better place. At The Spotlight, we believe that every entrepreneur has a unique message that can positively impact the world and inspire others to do the same. Stick around to the end of the show. We'll reveal how you can be our next guest. Let's get started. So hello and welcome to the Business That Matters Spotlight. I am so excited and honored to be joined today by a leader in injecting compassion into business, Dr. Bruno Signaco. Uh, I'll let Bruno do a full description of his background, but to start, he's an international business consultant, international speaker, business coach. For over 20 years, he has advised and trained hundreds of companies on international trade activities, international marketing. He's also a principal lecturer in marketing at GSM London. He's the founder of a consultancy called Human Oriented Enterprise. He's a senior fellow of the Higher Education Academy UK, and he's also the author of several books, including the one I'm really excited to talk to him about, which is The Art of Compassionate Business, Main Principles for the Human Oriented Enterprise. Bruno, welcome to the spotlight. It's great to have you here. Thank you very much. Thank you for your invite. I feel very honored. Thank you. Before we get into the book, perhaps you could just give us a quick background. Like, what got you into this work? What got you into oh. this idea of compassionate business so passionately? Very interesting uh, question. So, I started with compassionate uh, business training approximately five, six years ago when I, I discovered an article that was based on human relationship. The article was titled The Human Moment at Work, that uh, this was published in Harvard Business Review. And this article was about developing strong bonds with different stakeholders. I was already training companies on international strategy, international marketing, marketing research, and other topics, the traditional business topics. But I was a bit intrigued when I read this article because this author was talking about not the traditional aspect of business, but was talking about building robust relationship, a long-term relationship, win-win agreement. I was intrigued, I started researching on this and also uh, looking into this much more in detail. And this was coronated by, by my new book that is The Art of Compassionate Business. Alongside, I started also training companies on compassionate business. What do I mean by compassionate business? It's an approach uh, in business that can be focused on profits, which are very important for business survival, but also on building strong, long-lasting relationship with different internal stakeholders, such as employees, and external stakeholders, such as suppliers, customers, community members, business partners. And according to my research, I found that companies can indeed be profitable. This means uh, economically oriented, focus on quantitative aspects of business, such as profit market share, productivity, uh, quality levels, competitiveness, but also can be also qualitative oriented. What do I mean qualitative oriented? Uh, I'm talking about building relationship with different stakeholders. For example, uh, focusing on empathy, camaraderie, commitment, cooperation, uh, compassion, loyalty. These are 
qualitative ideas about business that are as important as quantitative ideas about business. What I observe that when I start training companies, most of the companies in the marketplace, they're focusing only what can be measured. For example, sales, market share, quality levels. And this is very important, but they focusing on only on quantitative aspect of pieces, they tend to dismiss the qualitative aspect of pieces, what cannot be measured, what cannot be counted. And this is about relationships, the relational aspect of pieces. So, and I start training on this. Saying, right, that what, what can be counted doesn't always count and what counts can't always be counted. Exactly, exactly. Well, and, and over the last few years, I started uh, talking about this to different companies, training also, I do micro training on a compassionate business, building relationship, gratefulness, a camaraderie, a building a work environment that is compassionate. And this is non-traditional training. And I feel that companies accept this type of training in some cases a bit reluctantly, in other cases in a bit open-minded way, but I feel very fulfilled with this type of training. And also I'm doing also traditional training on business, on strategy, tactics, market research, and, and so on. So this is briefly my, my history. I'm also teaching at university at a master level, uh, ethic and marketing uh, modules. Uh, and I feel that this is very fulfilling because research corroborates the fact that company can be both profitable and also human-oriented. I call human-oriented means building long-lasting relationship with the stakeholders. Well, it's very hard for a business, like no business can stand on its own, right? It, it has to exist in relation to others in, in the community with the people that work for it. So human relations are, are fundamental to the success of any business. Very important. They're the building brick. I'm not, I'm not saying only human relationship, but also the human being is the building brick, the most important, the basic factor of any business activity. You cannot get profit without the human being. You cannot get sale without the human being. You cannot develop new products or services without the human being. So the human being is a meta resource. It's the most important of all resources in the business environment. And what we see that companies tend to focus only on this indicator, this key performance indicator, and they are only focused on the bottom line. And my approach and the approach of many companies is the triple bottom line, focusing on profit, which is very important, but also focusing on people. The, the second aspect of triple bottom focusing on people means building this relationship and also focusing on the planet, means bringing about a better environment, for example, being environmentally friendly, recycling, using renewable sources of energy. You can meet these three aspects and you have a much more expanded uh, vision of business, not only limited to the bottom line. When you focus only on the bottom line, you tend by default to dismiss this relationship with the stakeholder. And we have to understand that no company can succeed without this relationship. No company can succeed without suppliers. No company can succeed without uh, other stakeholders like employees, customers, the community members, because all, business, uh, all businesses are interdependent with different stakeholders. They need to rely on them. And when you trust this stakeholder and you build long lasting relationship with these stakeholders, when your company need them, they are there to back you, to support you. Instead, when you dismiss this relationship with different stakeholders, when you need them, when you have some challenges and you need the support from them, these stakeholders tend to withdraw, tend not to cooperate. Because there is a very important law in business and in social psychology that is the law of reciprocity. That's right. When you treat others in a very kind, compassionate, loving way, for example, you treat employees respecting their time, 
not making them overwork, paying a good salary, acknowledging their, for example, a contribution. You treat them in a respectful way, in a kind way. These employees tend to go the extra mile. They tend to cooperate. They tend to uh, go and uh, probably work over time. Instead, when you treat employees in a, in a very disrespectful way, you try to exploit them, you try to take advantage of them, these employees tend to withdraw, tend to look for other companies, other job opportunities. This applies to any single stakeholder. So the best way to build relationship with the stakeholder is looking for win-win agreements, agreements where the needs of both parties are fully met. Not only one party is meeting their needs, but both parties are meeting their, their needs. And this applies to any type of stakeholders. Well, yeah, let's, so let's we'll get into the different stakeholders in a second. But just to okay. make sure we're all on the same page, what? how do you define compassion? Like, it's a great, oh, it's a great word, but not oh, everybody oh, understands oh, that. Compassion. Compassion, compassion, I can define this in a very simple way, is the willingness to understand others from the emotional perspective, from the mental perspective. So you have a mental perspective taken, you have an emotional perspective taken, you can imagine what they are feeling, what they are thinking, especially when they have challenging times. But, but also you are willing to support them, to provide them with advice, with support, with an assistant if needed, if requested. In some cases, we see that compassion is only applied to close relationships. So, for example, relationship with your friend, your family, your partner. But this also can be applied to, for example, business activity. Supposing that, the, I give you an example. Supposing that the supplier was to send you some goods, you place an order with the supplier, and the supplier sends you this good late. Well, will you penalize the supplier? Or will you try to uh, engage in a conversation with the supplier to know what the reasons are for this late delivery and understanding that they might not have been intentional and also understanding that also this supplier promised to deliver on time the next time. So when we are focused on compassion, we look for common humanity, common humanness. This means that we all are prone to make mistakes. We are prone to have some setbacks, some uh, success, some uh, challenges, some fears, uh, some hopes. So we have a common humanity. We're all human beings. This is our shared ground. And we understand this, we're more willing to connect to others. We are other-oriented. We're human-oriented. We're oriented on others. We're not only oriented on our needs, but also we're trying to cater for other people's needs. It's amazing how long ago during the 2000 and, well, 2002, when there was a, when it was called the dot bust, I was uh, I was had a business that was in the new media business, and we got in we got into trouble. Like the the dot bust happened, and a whole bunch of uh, clients, you know, just stopped spending money. And so with our suppliers, we were always very diligent about paying on thirty days. It got really a lot of bad things happened in the industry, and suppliers were not getting paid. We made a choice. We had to manage our cash flow, but we called all our suppliers and said, "We're moving you from thirty to forty-five, but you will always be paid on day forty-five." And we did that religiously. There was nobody that didn't get paid on day 45. And the interesting thing was when work did come in and we had to call suppliers, we got moved to the front of their, you know, their roster of work to be done because they recognized that we were respecting them, even though it was hard on us. We knew that they had to run a business. So we, we made payment arrangements that worked for them and for us. Um, and the loyalty to us as a company from our suppliers got really stable and solid. So you know, those kind of supplier relationships are so important to maintain. It is a very interesting example because what you're highlighting is not only the economic aspect of business, for example, price, quality, or delivery date. These are very important in any negotiation process, in any agreement, 
but also you have relational aspect of business that are as important as the economic aspect of business. Relational aspect of business are more related to the concept of emotional intelligence, are also related to soft skills, which implies empathy, support, care, and implies also building this long-term relationship with supplier, implies also understanding the other uh, suppliers or stakeholder needs. So what do they need? What, how can we cater for this need? How can we look for agreement where both parties are uh, uh, happy, their, their, their needs are met? And also how we can avoid by all means any adversarial approach. I see a lot of companies that engage in lawsuits or they try to, uh, for example, sue suppliers or intermediary or business partners. This doesn't bring about anything good. Company might get the money, but they lost the relationship. So, and in business, the most important aspect is relationship. In this complex world, in these challenging times, everything is interdependent. You cannot succeed on your own. I, I like to paraphrase a famous thinker that observed, no, no man is an island. And I want to say, no company is an island. No company is an island. No company can succeed on its own. Interdependent was a concept that was mentioned a long time ago by Stephen Coffey, the great manager, guru, management guru. And he observed that everything in life is interdependent. It's like a systemic approach. Everything is connected. And in business, this is much more evident. Why? Because you need all the stakeholders to succeed. You need them on your side. You don't need them against you. And the only way you can afford them to be on your side, you can help them and by helping them cater for their needs, adding value to them. When you do so, when you focus on them, they're very willing to spontaneously help you when you need it. So, but first you have to build this relationship. In the Western world, what I observe as compared with the Eastern world, for example, Japan or China, Relationships are not so well considered in business, and you focus only on what can be seen, for example, price, quality, the, the, the economic terms of, of the agreement. This is a transactional approach. Instead, in some uh, cultures in Asia, especially in the Eastern uh, Hemisphere, what I observe that these relationships are very important. To close a deal with a specific company, first you have to build a relationship for a long time knowing each other on a personal level, trust each other, and then the agreements come very easily, spontaneously, because you, you build a foundation, a relational foundation. This doesn't happen so much in the Western world. So I see that there's an exception, but they focus much more on the tangible aspect, the transactional aspect of business. Now, is that true? If, I mean, you're, you're of Argentinian background, right? Yeah, Argentinian Italian. Yeah, so I, I now maybe my information is wrong. I understood that Argentina, for instance, had quite a strong relational view of doing business. Yes, yes, because we are talking about, in the case of Argentina, no Latin uh, countries, Latin uh, rooted countries, where countries that they are community oriented countries. So the community is very important. So instead, you have two types of cultures in the world scenario. You have individualistic cultures, for example, in the case of UK or England, this is a very individualistic culture. What is important is the individual achievement. In some countries like Spain or Portugal or Argentina, the community, and also Asian countries like China, Japan, these are community oriented. This means that the community is very important. The ties with different people in a group are very important. And the individual achievement is not as important as the group achievement. Right. So this implies also strategic alliances with different partners, business partners, suppliers, intermediaries, so it's a different approach. The culture is affecting the business activity. In the community-oriented cultures, 
business relationships are very important. Individualistic cultures, well, individual achievement is the most important thing. You're right, you're right. Yes, Latin, Latin cultures, uh, they have Latin uh, origins. They are, tend to be much more community-oriented. Right. Now, you, I, I, I found it really interesting because not a lot of gurus or, or consultants talk about this. I do um, in a different context, but you discuss love in your book and in what you talk about. In my practice, I often say that one of the most challenging and actually strategic questions is what would love do? And Very it's actually important. a really hard question to answer, to ask. So I, I smiled when I saw that's part of your message. Can you can you describe a little bit about what, how love is? Yeah, very important, very important, because we we use love on a on a current basis only for a close relationship, relationship with our partner, with a, for example relative, with friends, even with some acquaintances. But this is a sentimental aspect of love, which is very important, but it's very limited aspect of love. The love that you use in my book that hopefully will get uh, will create some ripples and will become much more well used is a humanistic aspect of love. Humanistic psychology talk about love in a much broader way. Uh, from the broader perspective, love that can be applied to business relationship and non-business one include camaraderie, care, support, gratefulness, generosity, empathy, compassion. So these are all byproducts of love. And love is quite simple. It's acknowledging other human beings as legitimate beings with needs that need to be catered for. So when you're related to them, it's not only that you should focus only on your own needs, but you have to also focus on other people's needs. This is the only way to build a relationship that is a long-term relationship. If not, we're only talking about a transaction. If you focus only on your needs and you get your needs met at the expense of other needs and met, well, this is not a relationship. So and love is the foundation of any relationship. It implies also looking for harmony in relationship, avoiding, as I mentioned, adversarial approach, approaches with any company, any stakeholder, including customers, employees, but also trying to respect uh, their views, try to be inclusive, try to also understand that the needs are not only economic needs, but include emotional needs, mental needs, spiritual needs, and social needs, among others, so, and you have a varying range of needs and all of them are important. I give you an example. Uh, there are many companies that I am advising that are paying their employees a very good salary, very well paid, very good salary uh, above the average in that sector. However, employees tend to be dissatisfied. When I started analyzing these cases, I observed that uh, employees are not dissatisfied because they're not paid a good salary, because economic needs are met but they feel dissatisfied because they're not included in the decision-making process. Their opinion doesn't count. Right. But also they're not acknowledged, their contribution is not acknowledged. They can be working over time and nobody can write a thank you note to say, okay, thank you for your contribution. You were very useful. You count for us. And this is very important. These are emotional needs that are met. You can meet economic needs with a good salary, but if you are not meeting other important needs like emotional needs, mental needs, social needs, well, this employee might look for other job opportunities because we are not only a, a, like a role in this, we are a human being with various needs. So this is important. And this is the foundation of uh, love from the humanity perspective, building this long-term relationship with different stakeholders and include respect, include empathy, include gratefulness. So being appreciative with different stakeholders, include generosity. I see many companies that are focused on themselves. They try always to get 
get more sales, get more profit, get more market share, instead of also giving. You can say, oh, how can we give if we don't have profit? Because there should be a balance between getting, obtaining, and giving. An example is uh, when a company is selling a product to, a, for example, a customer, let's say a computer, a microphone, whatever they are selling, what can I give to this customer additionally? How can I surprise this customer in a positive way? How can I exceed customer need? Because a defined customer need, any company can do this. This is the basic requirement. If not, you won't be in business. But how can I create a positive imbalance? So this means that I give more than they expect so that then as a consequence of this, they feel indebted with me and they try to come back if they like our product or they try to leave a positive review online or they try to recommend our product to another a customer, potential customer. So many companies focus only on the basic satisfaction of needs. And my approach from the compassionate perspective and many companies approach is being of value, offering more value and being of service, not only selling. Uh, instead going from a selling mode to a service mode, to a serving mode. This means that you are adding value to this customer, but not only to customer, to any other stakeholder, and a very interesting question that any listener can ask themselves is how can I add more value to different stakeholders? Can I, how can I build and strengthen and brighten this relationship with the stakeholders? Yeah, how so to that, add value to the relationship. Exactly, exactly. Because you can always go further. And by going further, there is a very famous law that is the law of reciprocity that when you go further, the other stakeholders, the other party also tend to go further because you have to take the first step. And this is always applied. When you surprise a customer in a positive way, what we call positive disconfirmation in marketing, customers tend to come back. Even they, they didn't uh, buy your product, or supposing that you, you said, you know what, we don't have a product for you, but we'll write down the, the address of a supplier that can give you the product that you are looking for. You're giving free advice. This customer, if they have it in the future, have the opportunity to need a product that is similar to the one that you're looking, you're selling, well, the customer might come back and also my customer might leave a positive review. Instead, when you are not appreciative with this customer, when you're not serving, when you're trying to help them, when, when you're not trying to add value and solve their problems, customer feel this very, very quickly and will switch from your company to other organization. This applies to any single stakeholder. This applies to employees, this applies to business partners, and also community members, among others. And do you, I'm always interested, do you find there's a difference in how this message you have lands on entrepreneurs versus corporations? Like my, my assumption or hypothesis would be that in a large organization, they might hear this message in a utilitarian way that, gee, this will this will help me get better retention or this will help me generate more sales. Whereas an entrepreneur may just say, this message resonates with me on a values level. Yes. But I'm not Inter sure if I'm right on uh, that. Yeah, yeah you're, you're, you're right. Entrepreneurship is a very big uh, label. We can say, depending on the entrepreneur mindset, if they have a, a much more abundant mindset means that they're not focusing only on their needs. They're not focusing only on win-lose agreements, but on win-win agreements. Obviously, this will resonate very well with entrepreneurs, especially the, the younger generation, for example, millennials or Generation Z, that they are more, more, more open-minded and also much more oriented to a social aspect of business. However, in the case of big corporations and medium-sized corporations, what I observe that they tend to be very structured and bureaucratic and also 
anything that disrupts their way of doing business, they tend to think about this twice. They won't be close-minded, but they tend to think about how this will affect, as you said, how this will affect the bottom line. Will this generate more costs? And this is the uh, opposite approach that they should be adopting because we have to understand that, um, being more aware of this, that the basic aspect of any business relationship is the human being, the relationship. And this is important. Why? Because without the human being, you cannot generate all these uh, key performance indicators. What I'm seeing that in big companies, you tend to, uh, first of all, you have a lot of bureaucracy. And also you have these silos, also these silos in big departments or big areas, or big, big like, a, for example, a business unit. And they tend to act in some cases in a disconnected way. They don't tend to act in an in integrative way. And it's difficult to understand for them, to, to explain to them that uh, you, have, you can have a much broader approach on business. Why? Because they have been traditionally been focused on the bottom line. Uh, but however, I observe, for example, I gave some uh, talks and training to one of the big force in consultancy that is a global company. And what I observe that they are becoming, in, in many cases, much more open-minded. So they are... Uh, at least they want to know much more about this. I won't say that they will take the approach of compassionate business, but they want to know uh, probably what they are missing or, or how they can do this alternatively. There, there is a mixed response. I will say some companies are much more open-minded, especially small companies and some medium-sized companies. Big companies tend to be much more traditional. And, and uh, I will say that in many cases, tend to be much more uh, reluctant to 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 implement this, but at least in some cases they're open to listen to the approach, to being trained, to, and I'm not saying necessarily will be implementing this. And also you see many examples of big companies that are not acting in a, in a compassionate way. So you see this in the media, you don't have to talk about this so much. Uh, many companies, big companies are very clearly not acting in a compassionate way. They are fighting employees mercilessly, deceiving customers, polluting the environment. We see this in the media. But there is a new generation of companies, medium-sized companies that also that become some of them are becoming big companies that are more prone to consider and also explore other alternative ways to doing business that obviously are much more uh, um, inclusive. They don't include only the, the aspect, the economic aspect, as I mentioned, but include the social aspect, the environmental aspects. I want to get a little bit specific. I'm sure some of our yeah. listeners are like, they're interested in this, but how do you actually do it? Like, can you talk a little bit, you talk about playfulness and productivity. Very important. Very important. Playfulness and productivity. Playfulness is a very interesting topic because playfulness is related to children. So when you talk about playfulness, being playful is only when we were children, when we were, were very young. And you cannot relate to playfulness to, to business. Why? Because in business, Anything that is playful will be considered a waste of time. We have to meet deadline. You have to, for example, uh, fulfill some objectives and also deliver some project. This is not about playfulness. You have also what we call time scarcity. You cannot be playful. Playfulness implies uh, letting your hair down, uh, doing things that in some cases with no objective. But there is, according to research, there is a very clear link between playfulness and creativity and playfulness and innovation. How does it work in a simple way? Well, we can talk about the opposite of playfulness. What is the opposite of playfulness? For example, it's not exactly the opposite, but it's a very a clear example. 
stress. When you're stressed, you cannot be playful. When you are under pressure, you cannot be playful. When you're in a freeze fight fly mode, you cannot be playful. This means that you're in the opposite extreme of this spectrum. So playfulness on one side, stress on the other side. So, and research uh, corroborated the fact that when you're stressed, your mind tend to close down. Your discerning skills and the creative skills tend to narrow down only to the threat that is at, at hand. Instead, when you're playful, your mind tend to free flow and also tend to also connect ideas in a much more uh, explorative way. And also you try to generate relationship in a playful environment. An example of a playful environment could be a social event. For example, a social event, the company celebrating a social event for all people to get together. They generally companies do this only once a year at the end of the year to celebrate the, the year and so on. And their people are not talking about business. They are trying to meet each other, have fun, uh, have a drink, uh, eat together and so on, know each other on a personal level. This is very good, not only because put all the stress off, so this means that it's releasing any stress and, and relieving any pressure, uh, but at the same time, people know on a personal level. They're not on, knowing only on, on a role level, that is the traditional way of relating in, in business. And by knowing on a personal level, these trust and cooperation bonds tend to be strengthened over time. And these relationships tend to be stronger and much more robust. And these bring about not only better personal relationship, but also better work relationship and business relationship. And there's I also think, research that suggests that people are, they're more loyal and more productive when they have a close friend at work. Exactly, exactly. There is a, there is a study uh, that a paper, very important paper that observed Barsade and O'Neill that observed that uh, when you have a, a very friendly, compassionate, kind work environment, employee satisfaction tend to go up. Customer satisfaction tend to go up. Why? Because employees are happy, are at ease, they have psychological safety and tend to serve customer in a better way. But also in a compassionate, loving work environment tend to bring about lower turnover, lower absenteeism, lower stress levels, and this tend to bring about more profit, a much more a bottom line, That's better profit. <laughs> so so, is it, so your, many companies are focusing on profit in a direct way. And the irony of this is that you have to focus on relationship first, and indirectly you will get more profits. So it's the other way around. So instead of focusing so much on key performance indicator, I'm not saying that they're not important, they're very important, but if you focus much more on this uh, relationship, these key performance indicators uh, that are the natural result of robust relationship with different stakeholders tend to be achieved in a very effortless manner. Instead, when you focus solely on these indicators, you tend by default to dismiss this relationship with the stakeholder. And by doing so, you are shooting on your feet. Why? Because when you dismiss relationship, this will affect your indicators. Why? Because people won't cooperate. People won't support you. Employees will work by the book. Customer will look for other uh, suppliers and also business partner might look for other partners. So the idea is that we have to focus much more on relationship aspect, on qualitative aspect of business, instead of focusing much more on, as it happened in practice, on the quantitative aspect of business or economic aspect of business. So let me, I mean, we, you, you mentioned the KPIs a few times, and I'm, I'm interested in that. Um, are there, have you looked into, or, or in the clients you've worked with, looked into like surrogate metrics for the qualitative elements? 
for instance, I, I worked with some clients at one point where, you know, employee engagement was a really important score, but we looked at things like the extent to which people use their education budgets, um, the participation or attendance at social events. Um, yes. You know, like those yes. are sort of surrogate me- metrics for whether people have a bit of that emotional connection. Well, 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 as, the best, as well as surveys, like yeah. I recently did a survey Sorry. on psychological safety and the work. Psychological safety. Well, this is a good uh, example. When you can ask employees how uh, how they how do they feel at work, how connected they are to their, uh, for example, colleagues, how meaningful their work is for them. These are good questions. What I have my doubts, I'm very respectful of quantitative researchers. I'm a much more qualitative researcher. But I feel that in some cases, you cannot put in a spreadsheet and, and measure in a very accurate way uh, as you do with, for example, profit or market share. You can get a feel with qualitative if the work environment is fear-based or is a kindness-based. So there are two work environments, two, two main categories. I, I won't accept any other. So fear-based is a work environment that tend to be non-productive, tend to be... Uh, not not creative, tend to be like uh, people try to leave the company whenever possible. People are competing with one another. You cannot generate uh, cooperation, ties. Instead, kindness or compassionate work environment, as we mentioned, people trust one another. They like to work as a team. They find that their work is meaningful. They don't work only for the money. They also try to contribute to a meaningful business mission. And in some cases, obviously, you can ask questions. We ask questions to uh, employees in the work environment. But uh, also, we see some example of uh, good practices in the work environment. For example, companies that are allowing uh, once a week for employees to meet without any business objective, without, without trying to uh, achieve any objective or uh, uh, fulfill any purpose or any project or finish any project but only to meet one another. This is a good sign, even if it cannot be measured on a spreadsheet, that the company is in the right path to a compassionate business. Why? Because they're focusing on relationship. Another important aspect, uh, another, uh, let's say, cue that the company is on the right path is when the company has suggestion box. They allow employees to give their views about, for example, Big business decision. Not right. the big business decision shouldn't be only concentrated or centralized in the top level, but also anyone involved in the company that will be affected directly or indirectly by this decision should be participating or giving at least their view, should be acknowledged their view. So this is another good sign. What I check that many companies don't even think what is a suggestion board. We don't need, we know everything, we know it all. So and the, we know it all, CEOs in practice. <laughs> It's a bad sign of a, that is far from the concept of compassionate business. What we will look when we're training companies, some cues. So is the work environment friendly? Are people working in groups? Are people supporting one another? Or is there a lot of a dark side of politics? For example, one-upmanship, for example, turf wars, or a, for example, trying to compete one another, outpacing one another, slandering, a backbiting. These are signs, very evident signs that something is not working. The way that they work is not working. Why? Because this is creating a lot of resentment, a lot of uh, people that are getting, uh, for example, uh, hateful or angry, and this doesn't uh, help people cooperate with one another. So I like the, the approach of 
some aspects that can be quantified, but in many cases, what I observed, there are some very clear cues that uh, how people behave, how people support one another, especially in these challenging times. We see a, an example of a non-compassionate work environment, is, for example, with all these challenging times, if the uh, manager uh, is very strict and stubborn, won't allow the subordinate to work from home or work flexible hours. But this is not a good sign related to a compassionate business. Why? Because we understand that we are all affected by these challenging times or in this pandemic. And the idea is that we will be much more open-minded, much more, much kinder, much more supportive and understanding. So I look for cues where there, there is a, in my book, I mentioned a lot of cues about what, what is a work environment that is can be considered compassionate. And I mentioned most of them. So are people supporting one another? Are people cooperating? Do people like to work there? A very good question in any survey will be, do people really like to work there? Will they recommend this company to an other, other, other employees? Many employees will tell you sincerely, even the well-paid that they don't like to work there or they, they will, if they have another opportunity that also acknowledge then in a much broader way, emotionally, socially, spiritually, mentally, they will look for that opportunity. They will take this opportunity. And how do you how do you integrate these ideas yourself into your own business? Well, well, uh, in my own business, what I'm trying to integrate is, for example, well, all the training is uh, the new training that we have developed over the last few years is based on all the aspect of compassionate business. We're trying to switch more from the traditional training courses that were about sales, marketing, strategy, what are very important, are very, very important to a much more uh, compassionate-based uh, training, which implies building relationship, gratitude, generosity in business, playfulness. And I try to integrate both aspects. I feel in some cases that some company, as I mentioned, have some uh, resistance to this type of training, especially big companies. They're not very welcoming. However, we train companies, uh, big size companies, and also small and medium size. And I try to also, um, it's a matter of professional approach. When I feel that the company is not willing to take the path, I can provide them with training, but obviously I lead the company to, to take their own uh, way. I cannot afford the company to be compassionate. Well, I try to provide with the best assistant, the best professional assistant, but obviously some companies, what I observe, are much more prepared to broaden their view on business, and some companies are much more resistant to change. Um, what I was I, getting at was less less about the content of what you deliver, but in terms of your own operations, like how you run your own business. How do you, ah, okay, how do you yeah. bring your principles into your own operations? For example, well, we do micro-training. Micro-training we do. Uh, One-hour training for companies on different, for example, topics like gratefulness, relationship with stakeholder, uh, generosity and so on. These are micro training that are offered on our company's website. And also we have long training that could include a one full day that include, for example, abandoned mindset or scarcity, different between abandoned mindset and scarcity mindset or the main principle for building relationship. This is training nowadays with all the, the pandemic, we're delivering this training online. And in some cases, when it's possible, we deliver inside, but it's less common now. And well, this is the, the way that we deliver training. And in some cases, we prepare tailor-made training for a specific company according to a specific need. 
For example, for one of university, we have to deliver a training that was specifically related to uh, being more compassionate with the students. So how can this organization be more compassionate with the students? So this was much more tailor-made to a higher education institution. So this is the way that we integrate and we try to, obviously we offer a standardized uh, type of training, but also we are always very willing to adapt our training according to the company's need when, when important. And so last last major question, I guess, is if there's an entrepreneur out there, so listen, listening to you, like there's, you know, you talked about compassion related to suppliers and staff and community and customers and different definitions of compassion, they, they could feel a little bit overwhelmed. Um, apart from the obvious answer, which is to buy your book and read it, where would you suggest an entrepreneur start? Like if someone says, I'm not Very sure important. I'm running a compassionate business, what would be Very. the like the first step? To the, first is, this? the first step. There are two first steps. So the two first steps to, to, to take this approach is two main questions. How can I be more uh, generous with stakeholders and how can I be more thankful with the stakeholders? Gratitude and generosity, I mentioned this in my book and I explore this topic a lot, but few tips about generosity and gratitude. According to research, generosity is very important for business and relationship. Why? Because it foster interdependence may generate a positive emotional environment. So when you're generous, you feel good, but also the person receiving your gift feel good. And when we're talking about generous, we're not talking about only giving economic things that have economic value. For example, a manager that is giving a pay rise to the employee. This could be an example of generosity, but also a manager that is giving support to this employee or is giving an ear when the employee has a problem or is giving, for example, some advice or mentoring these are intangible aspects of generosity that could be as important as the tangible aspect like a pay rise. So a very important question for listeners, how can I be more generous with this stakeholder? Supposing that you are an employee working for a company, how can I be more generous with my colleague or with this customer or with, for example, the suppliers? So, and this applies to any stakeholders. Uh, you are a CEO, you can ask the same type of question. So regardless of your role, it's a very important question. And thankfulness is the other aspect that is, how can I be more appreciative? Uh, how can I acknowledge their value? How can I acknowledge their contribution? This applies to customer, employees, community member, any type of a stakeholder. So why is important uh, the aspect of thankfulness? Because people want to feel acknowledged. There is a very basic human need to be acknowledged, to be taken into account. To, the people want to know that they count, they are of value. When you acknowledge them, when you appreciate them, they obviously, when you're appreciating, you are highlighting their value and people tend to respond alike. They tend to appreciate you. When you are not appreciative with others, people tend to act in the opposite way, tend to get resentful, they tend to withdraw, tend not to cooperate. And this applies to employees, customers and suppliers and any other uh, business partners. So how can I be more thankful? How can I appreciate? Very good ways to be appreciative is saying thank you for the contribution, for example, to a colleague, or if you are the manager to the subordinate, or we are the seller to the customer, but also try to make this in a personalized way. Don't send a standardized email to customer to say, thank you X uh, for your custom and so on. And this is the same email that you send to every customer. Right. Try to add a personalized touch. So for example, Many companies, what they use, they use a letter that are hand-signed. 
So, and this is a very good touch, and this is a specific letter for each employee acknowledging their contribution. So, thankfulness and generosity, they're both important principles that foster long-term relationship, robust relationship with the stakeholder. And as we saw, this is the basis of any key performance indicator. When you have robust relationship with the stakeholder, this key performance indicator tend to improve naturally. Key performance indicators such as profitability, productivity, efficiency, and others. Nice. Listen, thank you so much for the time you spend with us. This is you've been really generous uh, with your time, and I'm very grateful uh, thank you. for you being here. And I think the takeaway of this that, that I really love is like often you hear people talk about they they use the term soft skills or these things. I've even heard people sometimes when you talk about values and things as being fluffy. And I I often argue very passionately that this stuff is hardcore strategy because it drives ultimately long, you know, when you talk about increased retention, increased productivity, increased employee engagement, increased customer loyalty because of increased customer satisfaction, increased productivity means costs are lower. This kind of approach to business drives long-term relationships, which drive long-term profitability and growth. So I encourage everyone to, to get out and pick up the book, The Art of Compassionate Business, Main Principles for the Human-Oriented Enterprise. Bruno, if people want to reach you or learn more about you, where should they go? Yes, thank you very much. They can find me on LinkedIn. I have many followers. Or they can find me also on my two websites, www.brunosignaco.com or www.humanorientedenterprise.com. Thank you very much. NACO is spelled C-I-G-N-A-C-C-O. Thank you. Thank you very, very much for your time. It's I've really enjoyed talking to you. I hope your message reaches everyone around the world. It's such an important message for business leaders, both large and small, uh, to not only hear, but also to embrace and to put into practice. So thanks very much for your time and good luck with your mission. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hi, it's Warren Coughlin here. Thank you so much for listening to the Business That Matters Spotlight. If you're a successful, values-driven entrepreneur who makes a difference while making a profit and you'd like to be on this program, please visit warrencoughlin.com slash podcast slash apply. That's warren, C-O-U-G-H-L-I-N dot com slash podcast slash apply. If you got something out of this interview, would you do us a favor and share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag Business That Matters Spotlight. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, warrencoglin.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, facebook.com slash a business that matters, and Instagram at warren.coglin. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.